I know we've been kind of passively talking about it, but uh, how, how's your guys' con been going so far? It's been going well, actually. The with uh, as I mentioned, I mean, there's I've been dealing with lots of different uh, technology challenges, and uh, I uh, I had just after a, a thirty year almost thirty year break, I started DMing again just last year, and then all of a sudden I'm now streaming RPGs as well as Arkham Horror games. So. I was uh, just glad that we got off the first curtain call without any, uh, without incident, learned a few things, and uh, we've got the second session tonight, so I'm looking forward to seeing how the second group does. Mm -hmm. I have not had a chance to check out any events, though, because I've been busy hosting my own. And How'd your chat with um, buyers go? I, I started watching, like, the first five minutes, but... Uh, then I had an event starting, so I'm, I plan on watching it after the con. Yeah, it went really well. It was uh, he was very talkative, and uh, he had a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things to say about writing in general, as well as writing *Ira the Void* and and uh, and uh, uh, *Blood of Balshandor*. Some of the the editing changes. It sounds like Balshandor went through some substantial rewrites due to various reasons that he explains and then uh but it doesn't sound like he has another novella yet but he would be very eager to uh to write another if given the chance but uh they had uh, he has an idea for a sequel to the norman withers book so mm. but i just uh, i we talked a little bit about how the the novellas have really i really like them just because they uh they give you a really good feel for the investigator and make you sort of want to play them more like norman was norman and dexter have never been investigators that have been particularly appealing to me and after reading the novellas i was like yeah i could play these guys and and other players felt the same way so that's a testament to his writing that it uh yeah, I felt that way about Dexter. Dexter's kind of—I always thought he was just this like bland magician dude, but he was much more interesting in the novella. I haven't read that one yet. Yeah, same. I thought he would be—he would be pretty. And 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 uh, when I was I was telling Richard, like Richard hasn't played any Arkham Horror LCG, so he was not familiar with the cards at all. But I would, told him I was a little disappointed that you know when they they revealed the the cards for the novella i mean you've got molly and yazteroth and then they've revealed the cards for when he's released in innsmouth and they just seem so much less interesting <laughs> than, the, than the cards from the from the novella like molly is a really cool character in the novella and so getting to play with her in the game is is equally cool and i don't think I think what is it? Uh, his uh, signature asset is showmanship or something like that which is like who cares it's yeah. not nearly as as interesting. In the beginning, you asked him about his uh, how he started writing, and he, apparently he started pretty late. Like he he wanted to write early in life, but then he was doing something else and came into a windfall, and then he yeah, said it's he now was or never. In the, he was working in the mental health uh, sector, and then got burned out on that, as as I think probably many people do. And and uh, his mother had left him some money, so he was able to uh, pursue a writing career and obviously he's done pretty well for it. I mean, he's got something like 30 novels in the forgotten realms plus, uh, 
all like mar like uh champions and all sorts of properties that he's written for world of darkness he's got two marvel uh he's got a marvel book coming out this fall and then another one so yeah he's he's busy what about you nate what how's your con experience been going so thursday i ended up watching oh, what did i end up watching i watched big stupid grin play uh his new silent hill scenario and that looks really cool i think he did a really great job with that dude that was awesome that scenario was amazing yeah he's, he did a really great job with that so that was really cool to see and then um friday we did our our kickoff for uh, pikmin's chaos bag which we uh, had some issues with uh audio on my end but we did fix that for this episode thankfully and then let's see uh friday night i had um you vase and some patrons of the show play pulp cthulhu which was an excellent game that was i think one of the best games we've played in a really long time dude that was so far my favorite thing so far in the con has been that it was really that game, fun that game was fantastic it really translated well to the pulp cthulhu uh system mm -hmm. i think it worked perfectly for forgotten age yeah and the way you converted everything like the all the little the little nods to the cards to the treachery cards and stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> overgrown over, what is it overgrowth and overgrowth like, and arrows in the trees and ants yeah. and yeah it was a good time Dude, I, i'm excited awesome. to see what cameron and nathan think of it too <laughs> yeah uh I just yeah got i would like to play rex Oh, nice. Take up Robert's oh. shoes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Robert was telling me about how his how the game went, so I'm not sure I can fill fill Robert's sizable shoes. But uh, he, yeah, he did a good job playing Rex. He was very resourceful, <laughs> especially towards the end. Yeah, everyone. I think everyone really fell into their character pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the characters each had like such shining moments. You know, yeah. uh, Preston was pretty cool. He financed the whole the whole expedition. <laughs> and he, he had an uh, elephant gun which was awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was great oh man yeah it was really cool and then the, our last minute uh replacement who's um, in chat it's nice to see oh. you oh hey how's it going um yeah uh and she was playing um not preston who's she playing monterey, uh, monterey jack. jack monterey jack i mean the and only thing was... i will say that there was a superb lack of cheese puns but Aside from that, I think Nathan will make up for that tomorrow, tomorrow morning. There probably will be. Uh... <laughs> was that, uh, was that Al Alana by chance? Uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. I think it's Hutzel. Yeah. Oh, okay, because I've got uh, I've got somebody playing. I think you guys when we play uh, tomorrow night, that'll be fun. <clears throat> oh, I I can't wait for curtain call. I bet that'll translate well to Call of Cthulhu as well, because that's that's another one that's very like. It, it seems like it fits that type of uh, RPG. Yeah. There's some scenarios that I think would be a lot tougher to do. But... Yeah, I I think it it does and it doesn't. Like I was I was telling Robert, uh, like Robert had watched uh, the curtain call game, and uh, and I think it does and it doesn't. There's certain aspects of it that that do, but then the the card game tends to include a lot of creatures that are that while in the card game are pretty much on par with the investigators they are definitely not on par with the investigators in call of cthulhu so when you run into one of them it would be 
Call of Cthulhu investigators are not very, not very, they're very fragile. So where someone like Mark could basically stand toe to toe and just slug it out with somebody, that is definitely not the case in Call of Cthulhu. So I, I found when I was trying to translate some of the investigators over, it was it was tricky to find find a, a, the right niche for them. And I've been sort of tweaking the investigators every day. I go back and I'm like, no, I'll change this about this guy or change this about that and mm-hmm. to give them a little more oomph. Although I have resisted the temptation to give Mark a submachine gun. <laughs> I've been tempted. I've been very tempted, but... <laughs> How much good would it do against the the emissary anyways, right? Well, that's true. I guess the cultists that show up in that scenario. Yeah, Robert Robert makes a good point, too. It's also dependent on, like, the player's actions. And, you know, it tends to be, like, um, a bigger group will do better just because they can they have more resources between the the investigators as a whole. True. Yeah. And and I think it, it's also the group. I mean, Andrew is a regular from my D&D game, and he's played Cthulhu once, and he's never played the LCG, so he had no idea what was what was coming. Mm-hmm. And then Cadius had played Curtain Call, but had only... I don't think he'd ever played Call of Cthulhu, so... Yeah. So while the rules for the game itself are not that difficult to pick up, there are certain certain things about it that you can do to improve your odds and, and True. they didn't necessarily do those they they didn't really do those things but that's that's just i know i when i looked back on it i i realized like i butchered one of the combats and and but i mean those in the heat of, of it, it are, happens yeah, yeah those sorts of mistakes are 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 bound to happen especially when like having run so much D where it's very like x player does a certain action and then another player does an action and in cthulhu it's a lot more free form where it's basically like i want to do this crazy thing it's like okay you you can do it (laughs) there's no uh there's no real uh like the rules are pretty broad in terms of what you can what you can do so it's more narrative driven and i think also a lot of if people that come from dungeons and dragons that go into like call of cthulhu or delta green they tend to they don't realize that it's not as combat heavy the combat is not really a thing you're supposed to want to do and they'll dive you know head first into a battle when something's coming after them and realize very quickly that maybe it's not such a good idea that definitely well, happened to my dean yeah team. the the mark player got kicked in the leg and he's just like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna heal, and I'm like, well, that's one point. You get one point back. <laughs> and it takes yeah. an hour to do that. <laughs> he yeah. was pretty shocked when an hour he, when for he one did point. first aid, and mm-hmm. he's like, okay, I get a point back. That's yeah. I just I lost a quarter of my health, and I'm gonna get one point back. Yeah, and the way that injuries and you know, um, like just your mental and your physical stats work in that game like you you're often screwed well before your hit points or your sanity hit zero so oh yeah yeah especially with the like the sanity it's really i mean 20 percent is only like 15 yeah 15 to 20 points yeah 15 to 20 points is all you need to and in that particular game i don't think mark made a single sanity roll successfully so (laughs) so his sanity dropped pretty quickly yeah you you lose five points you have a bout of madness and then your character is gone for like 
one d10 hours and then you don't know what happens to them and then oh yeah it can it can devolve very quickly yeah i i just uh, i used the one d10 rounds for for the one bout of madness that happened and he pulled out of it but events transpired that were not uh... <laughs> i can't wait to watch that that's it sounds like a, a complete disaster in a good way <laughs> what about you, Vase? You've been quite busy and active for uh, dude. I've been nonstop for Farkincom since Thursday. Well, Thursday I was mostly spectating, but um, you know I've been trying to get in and jump in as much as I can, consume as much content as I can. Um, but yeah, it's it's been awesome, man. Like, uh, there's been so much good content, so many great things happening. Like you said, Big Stupid Grin's scenario was awesome. My favorite, the the um, Pulp Cthulhu RPG was great. The Blob this morning, that, the Blob thing was a last minute thing. JP and I were like, hey, you want to play Blob? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, why not? And we just joined kind of last minute and it worked out pretty great. Um, so did you defeat the Blob? We did. We did. We had six minutes left from the three hour marker, mm. the three hour countdown. And we played Agnes and Father Mateo. I've been on a Mateo kick. So we were playing Agnes and Father Mateo. You gotta and... break those bad habits, face. <laughs> well, it, it breaks tonight because that's it. Like, the, Mateo's done for the weekend. Um, but I played him in the Pope. I played, that's all I played this weekend was Father Mateo. <laughs> but uh, he did really well. He was a healing machine because of uh, Vermis Mysterious. I kept recurring the, um, the soothing melody. That caused zero, and and then uh, I would recur the uh, what's that called? Um, Moonlight ritual, where you can remove doom. So I'd use the vermis when it was full of doom to recur the moonlight ritual to remove the doom from itself, and then clear it back up. So soothing, does soothing melody go to the discard pile? It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does, so you recur it. I used. Uh, I'm Diana. glad because I would have hated to be to have been like. Oh, actually, it doesn't. <laughs> so first I put a soothing melody on Diana, and then she got to do it three times. Then it went to the discard pile, used Vermis Mysterious. It, then, it, then it goes away, you know, from the game. And then the card draw that I got from it just happened to be another soothing melody. So I was healing like a nonstop. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, so that worked out pretty well. But otherwise, the four willpower was not very helpful, and because... We were both mystics. She had all the all the uh, unique mystic items that boost the willpower, so right. it made it hard for me to to pass willpower test. But at least I was I still felt like I did quite a bit. But she definitely pulled her weight in terms of um, Agnes did in terms of you know combat and investigation. And uh, yeah, I yeah. played uh, Marie when I did the blob back at Arkham Knights, and I felt like I didn't do anything. <laughs> basically the whole game i think i might have investigated successfully like once or twice but but uh i was playing with robert at that table and i was telling him during our chat this afternoon like i think i hit the blob with shriveling once and did like three points and then he hit it with his flame floor flame thrower for like 17 i'm like <laughs> what the hell am i here <laughs> well we didn't do that like much I'm... damage to the blob and he had like 17 charges after he jacked it. You know, he was using all those cards to to dump ammo on the on the flamethrower. So I'm like, okay, well, at this rate, <laughs> it's like the blob is just like something tickles. Oh, it's your shriveling. <laughs> we um, our blob had like 1900, almost 2000 health, 1980 something, and then. Uh, we ended up maybe doing, we may have done 20 points out of that. 
between <laughs> the two of us because we were so strong. We had at one point in the end, we were just running away. We were playing zigzag with the hunter enemies. And I think we had like six hunter enemies in one location that kept chasing us around. Mm. There was so many, so many enemies. How many players were there total? A hundred. I think it was was maybe like 146 initially, and then some dropped off. Damn. We finished with like 130-something still alive. Yep. Chad is confirming 132 players. Oh, 132. Okay, so it started with 132. Initially, it was 140-something that had registered. I guess some didn't make it. Yeah, it was... So it was how, did they, how did they coordinate that? Did they, they, have, they a... have a website. They had it set up, and that's how I was able to use the... The overlay for for the blob stats they were just updating so on this website you would report you would just type how many clues you got and it would update it right away how many countermeasures how many so everyone could just go on this website and it would just keep updating in real time dude the I, health need, of, I need that guy to develop me a widget that'd be sweet dude right it was awesome it was so well done like these people apparently have done this before so mm. they, this isn't their first rodeo when it comes to that but that yeah it was real well done if you if you pop into my I think the video is still processing, but if you pop into my channel and watch the blob playthrough, you'll see the widget, the thing on the top right. And it's cool how it just in real time was updating. It was that is cool. Really handy to have. Yeah. So that was that was a really cool thing. Dude, I'm kind of like right now in, in auto mode, so I don't remember a lot of stuff that happened yesterday either. So I know we played that game, but it's we played we played another Arkham game yesterday, right? Nate? Uh, did we? Well, you did your um, premiere of oh, A Matter mine. of Life and Death. That's how tired I am. <laughs> I don't remember shit. Just so, remember that you've got to get your wife's jewelry tomorrow. Right. Yes. Got Thank that, you, man. That, that errand that for your wife that you have to do that was on your list of things man, jammed like, in you, between two dozen do? Arkham events. You need to do that one thing. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the reminder and the one hour window I have for that. <laughs> I, like I sent him my just calendar like downloaded and, and, his schedule and just keep track of his personal life. I sent him a picture of the calendar. I'm like, oh, I can't do it. And then I sent him a picture of it. And in between everything was pick up Lou's jewelry. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, my scenario. Um, I'll give you like two guesses as to which investigator I played. I watched it. So I already know. Was it Father Mateo? It was. My brother hopped on the chat, and that was fun because he did a lot of the art in the scenario. And uh, so he joined in on the Q&A, and some really good questions were asked, so that was good. I did die at the end, so Father Mateo didn't fully complete the scenario, but uh, he got to the very, very end, though. Uh, and then we did that panel discussion, Nate and mm-hmm. Sophic and Scott from Mythos Busters. And Scott did a fancy PowerPoint, and we talked about tempo and momentum for over an hour and a half i think that was yeah something like that yeah yeah it was really good we got a lot of positive feedback about it so i think people really enjoyed it and that just spawned from a conversation on the great old ones discord we were talking i was like asking a question from you guys actually for an episode in my channel that i wanted to do and then everyone started jumping in and chiming in and there was so much good stuff that we were like you know what we should just do a panel (laughs) and talk about it live we're doing it live we're doing it live <laughs> oh we could curse on twitch now right uh yeah fuck it i don't care fuck it <laughs> <laughs> so farcomcon's been awesome man i i feel like the community's definitely been brought together like more closely um i you know a lot of the content creators are jumping in and out of each other's uh 
streams and events and it's been really cool to see everyone supporting each other in that way this always has been a great community but i think this really shows like just how awesome everybody is so yeah i couldn't agree more yeah Yeah, i wish i'd been able to uh, i'd initially planned to take the take the convention off work unfortunately i wasn't able to so that has limited limited my participation i would have loved to have jumped into some of the other events to have either of you played the the covid mask yeah we actually yeah, we were one of the first groups to play it oh, we were no. guinea pigs we died horribly we did okay i mean we did all okay, things then, considered we did pretty okay then we threw a hail mary to try and uh, get the mask guy or the man in the powered mask mm-hmm. i forget if we got him or not but then died no like the we, we didn't i don't even think we got past the second act no so we got the man pop up and then he pops up in that location where like the shroud value goes up mm-hmm. so I think I had him on me and then I or I engaged him and then moved to the location next to it. Mm. The little trick that you can do to the lower shot location. Yep. And attempted the test, but I can't remember if we got him or not. But it was like the death happened right after. Everyone else was already dead. We had people like enemies coming after us. I think JP might remember what happened. But um, I, yeah, I remember def- like Patrice was the last one standing <clears throat> and then she like miraculously parlayed or investigated the um the man in the pallet mask and then from there it was just right after died. that yeah she died right after that yeah, so that was it was fun this scenario is really cool it's <laughs> it's got so much tongue-in-cheek from you know from this whole pandemic thing it's great and he's he's made some changes so i'm i'm, ha- I'm curious to see tomorrow what the new changes will do to the scenario mm. and of course i'm taking because of uh, you know the whole COVID thing, I'm taking the person with the highest risk of complications. <laughs> Father Mateo? No, Leo Anderson. <laughs> Leo Anderson, the old man. Oh, makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So, well, yeah. why don't we go ahead and kick off this AMA base? I know you have some questions in the old Carolyn Fern, the botanist email address. Yeah, we we got uh, we got a few. Most of them are about us. I wish that uh, Nathan wasn't working so he could join us, but uh, it might be quicker than I expected because there's only three of us answering these. So I will pose the question. You guys will answer first, then I'll answer. Unless you want me to answer first, then you guys can say, hey, Vase, you answer that one. All right. So the first question, um, I'll start with this one. This one was actually asked by two different people. Uh, who has very similar questions. So Stay Puffed 92 and Aaron H. want to know, how did you guys come together as the Great Old Ones? How did the podcast come about? And they mentioned, they asked if we knew each other beforehand. Uh, no, we most definitely did not know each other beforehand. Well, that's not entirely true. Uh, Vase, you are actually personal friends with Nathan before the show started. But the show kind of just started because I just emailed a bunch of other Arkham people and just wanted to do this. And here we are, essentially. Yes, I I remember getting an email from from Nate and uh, I was just like, okay, do I do I want more on my plate? And so here we are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, yeah, it's really I, not I the most like inspiring help. story but you know <laughs> you, you have to start somewhere and you'd be surprised at how powerful an email can be i remember seeing nate like as a newcomer uh with the lost in time and space channel and arkham chronicle had featured you on their channel and and i think am i wrong in this i think i saw like a video where they said that you were going to take over arkham chronicle at some point I did some voiceover work for for Ed and the other guys from Arkham, Arkham Chronicle for a little bit. Yeah, I thought they had. I thought I saw it on a video where they're like, "Oh, we're passing the torch on" or something like that, and then they put your logo 
but I could have just been imagining that. Um, anyways, shortly after that, I think you you then emailed uh, you emailed me about it. Yeah, and... it was like it was like five or six months after I had started my YouTube channel. I was like, I I, kind of, I wanted to do more open ended discussions about the games that I like to play and wanted to expand uh, into other Cthulhu Mythos games. So I just you know, essentially just emailed other people in the community asking the same and here here are the four of us. So Yeah, uh, was your idea initially to do just Arkham Heart of the Card Game or did you want to initially because I know now the big thing with us is we're expanding it to encompass Lovecraftian games. Was that like your initial idea mm-hmm. for long term with the with the podcast? Yeah, that was definitely my initial goal. And that's why I wanted to name it something that was um, you know, more generic in a Lovecraftian sense, rather than like naming it specifically something geared towards the card game. Yeah, so um so initially we recorded one episode, the three of us. Mm-hmm. And then I had just, it just so happens I had a meetup that weekend at the game store where Nathan works and I saw him there and I was telling him about our podcast, how it was going to, the first episode was going to release soon or something like that. And he goes, Oh my God, that's awesome. He, by the way, he had, he's like the biggest fan of Man from Lang. And then, uh, I'm <laughs> so pretty he, sure he has like a heterosexual man crush. Yeah. Oh, her. he totally does. <laughs> totally. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong. And that with may that. not be, that may not be the limit of it, but, uh, yeah, he, he was obsessed with Man from Lang. So he's like, <laughs> Oh my God, I'd love to be on the show with him. And can, do you think I, I'd be able to join? I'm, you know, since I work in the game store, maybe I can bring that perspective in. And I reached out to the guys and, uh, and they said, yeah, bring him on. Why not? And he definitely added a, a level of uh, comedy to the show, which is nice. Because I think uh, I think that's that's a piece we were missing. A fourth member and a, and a little bit more of that uh, funniness. Yeah, it's guess. always interesting to hear his perspective on like how the actual sales of the game goes. Because it seems like he's like a nightshade peddler when it comes to the game. He just like, <laughs> he really is, it. though. Take this game. If you see him in action, man, he really is like a peddler of Arkham Heart of the Card Game. It's hilarious. Uh, having having now visited guardian games i i just assume that everyone who enters walks out with a copy of arkham horror <laughs> it's like they come in i just, it's just i just wanted to buy some pokemon cards and now i've got this i've got this arkham horror box i don't know how this happened but this guy in a star trek outfit came and talked to me and all of a sudden <laughs> i'm trek like I'm, I'm buying all this stuff <laughs> They don't always wear the Star Trek outfits. No, Nathan always wears the Star Trek outfit. That's yeah. their canon. There you go. <laughs> I can um, only assume I've been there once and he was wearing a Star Trek outfit. So 100% so of the time. I, 100% of the time he's, that I've been there, he's... Um, all right. So, uh, by the way, the chat, if you guys have any questions, feel free to ask because we don't have that many to fill the the entire episode anymore since trivia is gone so so um, jay asked us who he was wearing a red shirt he was most definitely wearing a red shirt he was a red shirt yeah he was a red shirt no he was wearing a captain outfit i thought it was, was a red, red shirt outfit no 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 he was he was definitely captain material <laughs> no he was he wasn't an ordinary red shirt for sure he was he was in command i think he even had the little the yeah he the, had the pin i remember that the the beads on the lapel that they have in oh yeah he would go to that level of detail (laughs) i i'm not a a a big enough trek nerd to know what the the meanings of the various uh pins on the lapel but yeah right so richard l 
wants to know what type of music does Man from Lang listen to? And uh, the the first guess was gangster rap. <laughs> the first guess was gangster rap. Gangster rap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. No, I don't listen to any rap whatsoever. In fact, I listen mostly to uh, my uh, depend. Uh, it depends on the, my favorite band. I started listening to to Skinny Puppy and when Nickelback. I started going to university. <laughs> and since then, I have listened to Skinny Puppy and most of the various offshoots. And listening to them turned me on to the legendary Pink Dots, which are uh, a Anglo-Dutch group out of the Netherlands that have, I don't know, 200 albums since 85 or whatever. So, and, uh, I listened to them, but I listened to lots of different types of music. My wife has very good taste. So, so we can listen to pretty much anything she listens to. I listen to, I've been going through a a classic punk phase recently. So nice. Nice. Uh, we're going to quote Spotify is Spotify is good for that because then you can, you find something you like, and then of course you can click on a playlist and then go from there. Sink into a, sink into a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Man from Lang's new name is my wife has very good taste. Period. <laughs> Man from Lang. <laughs> yeah. Best yeah. comment ever. <laughs> yeah, she does. She's got. I mean, good she taste. married you, right? That's that's what you mean by oh, that. Oh, well, yeah. there you go. Yeah, and That's and that was the that was the beauty of going to uh, of going to uh, beneath the waves last year is because the legendary Pink Dots played Portland the Friday night before. I remember that, and so I got to go see the con- got to go see them again. So that was uh, and you got a sweet awesome. T-shirt out of the deal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> got to got to talk to one of the the band members a little bit, and it was That's, a great show. That's cool. All right, so that was a man from Lang only. Um, question so we don't get asked that name i think they know i think they already know yeah they already know i like lo-fi hip-hop anyway what it's what it's what i listen to on stream so i would assume that island music (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah sorry it's island music um okay adrian p he sent like four questions so i'm gonna interject them in between other people's questions okay one of which i don't know how we're gonna answer that one we'll figure it out um what is your favorite standalone scenario? We'll start with Nate. Ooh, uh, my heart wants to say Guardians of the Abyss, but my brain definitely wants to say Murder at the Excelsior. Yeah, I, I think I really like Murder at the Excelsior the most out of all the standalones so far. It's also the one I've played the most, weirdly enough. And Man from Lee? I have not played the standalones very much. To be honest, I have played, I think I've only played each of them once. And uh, Murder was good. Uh, Guardians seemed really hard, but uh, I was I, I uh, only have played it solo, and I think it's probably pretty tough in solo. Curse and Carnival, uh, I think I tried to play Curse four-handed. Yeah, I can't, I can't really answer that because I, I just I haven't played them enough. I, if I play standalones, I usually play scenario like the scenarios I like from the campaigns more than the actual standalones. Like I think I was I forget who I was talking. Maybe it was it came up in the stream earlier today, but I, I sort of consider a lot of that like uh, the secret name. I think it's a really good it would make a much better standalone scenario than it does a, a campaign scenario. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think it would, too. Because yeah, I really, I really enjoy playing it as a standalone, but it, but I think 
if you if you play it as part of a campaign, I think you need a a, a much more a specific type of deck built for it, which once you've played it a couple times, you can prepare your deck to deal with it as part of a campaign. But if you're if you're just going through blind, I think you hit that the first time and your deck won't be ready for it and you're gonna have a you're in for a rough a rough time. So I'm looking forward to trying um playing uh the wages of sin. That's my next the next one on my list to see how that one goes and I'll make my way through the through the circle and done that way rather than playing it as a campaign i'll just play the scenarios like i i can't i think over the past month i've probably played the secret name a dozen times wow. and so like i enjoy it it's just i don't enjoy playing it in a campaign as, as part of a campaign what yeah, about you me, base i'm i'm with you nate actually those those two you mentioned are my two favorites uh i can't decide between the two i'd probably go with guardians because it's a two-parter and for a standalone, it's it feels more epic. It's it's going. I'm a huge fan of Egyptian stuff, as you guys can see by my hieroglyphic tattoo. So, I think um, I think Egypt wins it out because of the location. But I do like Excelsior quite a bit. It's uh, I like that it can play different every time, mm-hmm. and you know I, the murder mystery is is something that I've always been into as well. So, I, I like them both. But I, I guess Guardian eats it out. Um, we have a couple of chat questions, so why don't we do those real quick? Before more come through, Nate, why don't you read those out, please? Okay, so Hutzel asks, will there be a Beneath the Waves next year if Nathan can time it to coincide with the Lovecraft Film <coughs> Festival that they may just have to fly over and attend? Um, as far as I know, yes, but don't don't quote me on that. I know Nathan spent a lot of time and effort getting the first one put together. Uh, Vase, I, think, I, think- I think Nathan would definitely would definitely like to organize one. Like he was also, I think, I think he had initially announced this year's right as, as COVID hit hard. And so it was like, I think it was just like a couple weeks before COVID really dug its teeth in that he had sort of, it's happening. And then all of a sudden I'm just like, okay, it's probably not happening anymore. Oh, so yeah, I, that's right. That was like way I would, back in March. I would suspect that he would, uh, that he would want to to do something like that. I mean, based on the attendance last year, it was very well attended by a lot of uh, people from the the local Portland community and and people far afield from Seattle. I think there were some some people who traveled for it. And um, I know we we made some suggestions on how to. I think he was going to make it a he was interested in making it a two-day event and mm. and uh and make it a little bigger because I think that's I think that's the main issue for for traveling is that if people are going to travel to to something like that then you want to get the biggest bang for your buck so getting a couple days would be and I and I'd agree with that because I know that we uh, at that event you know we sat down and played together we played murder together for the first time and yeah. then I think I played a uh, a fan made scenario with Nathan the but, you know yeah the when to go uh, but even in like a one day you can only really get in a couple games two maybe three if you're lucky yeah, and, and yep. you you sort of want to, you know, it would be nice to to play with more people and and even like 
Instead have of other a chance or something. Yeah, just have a chance to actually, like, we sort of showed up and everybody just started playing. It would have been nice to to have a chance to actually meet some people and then be like the next day saying like, hey, we should sit down and play something together because, yep. you know, we met at the bar last night or whatnot and hit mm-hmm. it off and, you know, we want to sit down and play some Arkham together. So that sort of thing is is... But I mean, it's I I know Nathan put a, a hell of a lot of work into it, and I think it's only his sheer force of personality that <laughs> uh, I think a lesser man would 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 have buckled under the under the strain of trying to to keep all those ducks in a row. And I know even like we were there. What was it on the midnight of Saturday night? Yeah. Still yeah. just just tweaking and laying out laying out stuff and and he was running around the city picking up last minute uh Mm -hmm. yeah he puts so much effort into it like even like all the tiny small details he really like balloons and yeah like jello and (laughs) the the, like green and blue balloons the the table mats the placements all the prizes that you guys put together it was really it was really quite incredible and we had it was sold out like 60 plus yeah. people yeah so i i i hope he he does it again but i also hope that like he can get some maybe put together a team or something like that so he doesn't have to take the whole thing on his shoulders because it is a lot of work and and it would be very easy to to get burned out doing that sort of thing and, yeah and but uh, but i mean clearly from the attendance and and whatnot people really appreciated the event and and i think you know arkham is one of those games that people tend to play in their small groups and so you you may know like three or four other people who play it but i think for for most most players not like content creators who tend to to have a, a much broader reach you know you don't really meet a ton of people who play this game and so those types of events i think are really important to uh to build the community and let people know like hey there's a lot of a lot of other people out there who are interested in this and and you know you might find out that there's somebody else in your area or in your neighborhood who plays and then all of a sudden it's just like hey we go from you go from not playing to playing yeah. every week it's also why i like discord like meeting the meeting a lot of the community on discord because i mean it's honestly um there's been players that we've met on discord that just happen to be like oh is anyone gonna be in this town uh you know on this day or whatever and there's people that just happen to live there and hey let's meet up for a game you know that kind of thing i know i've been up with a few people that way and it's definitely awesome to have that kind of you know connection and it's like the bring the game brings us together and yeah you know we've chatted plenty of times online and here we are playing arkham together you know Mm -hmm. so yeah like i've like i would love to to be able to organize something like that in this area but the problem is is that the the player base i think just isn't there and and then it's it would be difficult to persuade enough people to travel for it so you might get I'm not actually even I I have no idea how many people you would get if you if we held something up here on the plateau it would be like I know there's 3 for sure <laughs> and then after that it would be you know who knows because yeah. it's just I have a like very I've, similar I've been issue. up to Edmonton and played and there was there was actually maybe a dozen people there and so you know I'm sure south of me there's another big there's probably another community that plays there but but I think it's just you know in in the in my area at least there are no stores that sell it, so it's tough uh, to build a community when when nobody sells the product. That is true. 
that's the hardest part with this with this game is getting new players man i see it all the time on reddit like hey i can't find this pack or this you know i i got the deluxe expansion where do i find the mythos packs can't find them anywhere and it's it is frustrating it really is mm -hmm. that's yeah, what sucks I've, you know i feel that a few questions saying the same question right it's yeah. like i have i have all of done i've got done which queued up except or no, it was Path to Carcosa. He has Path to Carcosa ready to go, except he's missing one or two Mythos packs. So he's he's like, okay, well, what do I play next? And I'm like, well, Forgotten Age is probably, you know, the next step. If you're playing solo, don't don't go to TCU or Dream Eaters would be a good one as well. Mm, yeah. Maybe Dream Eaters, just because it's probably, if you're looking for product, that's your best bet. But I mean, even today, Robert was ta talking on our stream, like he can't get Weavers. <laughs> he's he still doesn't have weavers so crazy it, like that's the that's the thing like you really need to especially with a game like this that's based on on scenarios right it, it wouldn't be so bad i i think if you're playing just to use an example like marvel champions right it's just like okay if you don't have one villain it's not like you have to wait for that villain before you play any of the other villains there's to no get the rest of the story or something yeah, it's no there's no sequence Whereas in this game, the sequence is important. So, uh, Solar J asks, uh, <laughs> my question is when Man from Lang's Luck will improve. Auto fail magnetism seems to be spreading to other great old ones. Yeah, that's the yeah. truth. <laughs> yeah. His luck will no, never improve. It's... <laughs> It's bad. I that's don't know like, what it that's is. That's why you have that contest going, tentacle face. That's, that's exactly why I have that contest going, uh, my tentacle face. You can head over to my Facebook page, uh, the Whisper in Darkness channel, post your tentacle face. You can win some prizes. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's I, Maybe it's just the amount I play that, I mean, you're you're bound by by math to draw draw some tentacles but it seems like uh, a lot of t uh, i draw in in an inordinate amount i know that uh, i'm not going to spoil it here but there is a new weakness in the uh in the player starter deck the new investigator starter decks that basically has my name written all over it <laughs> <laughs> that will be like I will have to play with that weakness in addition to every other to another weakness just to <laughs> to give the right experience. It's so um, true when you hate a weakness like you get it all the time. I've gotten through the gates every game just because the other day I mentioned on stream that I hate that card. It's and now I get it every game. It's ridiculous yeah. for me. For me, for the longest time, it's been indebted and overzealous of the two that. <laughs> I draw the most often. And even today when we were going to play, when I was going to play with Jared and, and Robert, uh, Jared needed two weaknesses. So I pulled, I pulled two for him and, and got overzealous in one of them. <laughs> so like there, there are some weaknesses I just have never, I never see like the, the Akachi deck I've been playing against the secret name. I have the silver twilight acolyte in there just because I never play with it. <laughs> I've never drawn that weakness, so I'm like, well, I might as well get some get some play in with this guy and see see how he uh, you how like he changes him. the game. Spoiler alert: you won't like him. He's pretty brutal. <laughs> uh, right. It's not. He's not too. Uh, in secret name, the way I've been playing it is, if, if I draw him at the right time, he's he's okay. If I draw him at the wrong time, game over. No, not not game over. But yeah, you start to. I mean, that's the problem with every weakness. Is it's like if you draw it at, at 
either early or at a at a very opportune time they tend to be pretty mild it's it's when you're str- when you're already struggling and then you draw we- uh, your weakness that the thing i hate is when you you're playing a game you're you're watching your deck the the size of your deck start to dwindle and you still haven't drawn your weakness yet and then you're like on uh, the final act and you're just like oh i, I just need to get through the next two turn like two or three turns but you know you're gonna draw your weakness at some point because there's just <laughs> so few cards left in your deck it's just bound to bound to happen um adrian p his second question out of the four he sent in um would you record and play every single fan-made scenario posted on arkham central wow um uh, Nate, you run the twitch channel <laughs> sure it's been requested. Let's do it. Let's just yeah. get special guests and just like run them through for the next several <laughs> weeks. Several weeks. How many Years. scenarios are there on Arkham the Central? Fan-aids? Oh god, there's like forty, 40 something. something alone in uh in TTS. <sighs> if you do one a week, if you do one a week, and as new ones come out, we'll but they're all in. in are there are they all in TTS? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well maybe maybe if they were all in TTS, I would learn how to use TTS, and then I could do it. If I had to program them all into Octagon, no, I wouldn't do that. But yeah, they're all programmed in TTS already. If somebody's done the hard work already, then um, someone asked Grace F asks, "How did each of you get into Arkham Horror the card game?" Uh, mine from Lang. Uh, I had played. I was introduced to Call of Cthulhu back in '89, and so I played that game, and then uh, I picked up. The second edition of I even I even played uh, the very first Arkham Horror back in university. And then when Fantasy Flight released their second edition of Arkham Horror, I picked up that and played the living hell out of it. And uh, I played the Call of Cthulhu LCG for a while and then picked up Lord of the Rings. And I think there was a point where I even thought to myself, you know, this would make like this this whole uh, the whole solo game would make a great, you could make a great Arkham Horror game with it. Like it would, the, it would just fit really well. So of course, when they announced Arkham Horror, it was, I was in from the start How about you, to the fat, to the point that like I play, I play very few other games these days. Like I have to make a concerted effort to play other stuff if I'm going to, you know, uh, now that you mentioned that, uh, you remember there was a one point last year where you felt you were getting burned out. Do you still feel that or, or you think that it's gone through that? No, I think I think I'm out of that. Yeah, I know last year around uh, I think it was between sort of near the tail, like after uh, beneath the waves, I sort of felt like I'd been I was getting burned out. But uh, I think that's that's gone by the wayside now because I still enjoy playing and just sit down and I tend to go in bursts, though, like I I'll, I won't play for a couple weeks and then I'll play many 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 games over the course of a week or a weekend and then basically play a deck to death trying to you know like my like i've been playing akachi lately so i've been playing akachi with decorated skull i've built like six or seven versions of that deck trying to see which is the best one um and then i'll play that one i'll probably play that one for a little while longer and then i'll switch investigators and play somebody else who catches my eye and try to try to uh to see how it goes i have to play akachi though for at least a little while longer because i saw that uh decorated skull 
two or three is coming out in Return of the Forgotten Age. So I am looking forward to testing that out. And then you're going to test Mateo next. All right, Nate. <laughs> no, I, uh, I already t- I tested Mateo two years ago. I played a ton of Mateo that was two and years I was ago. all set. You, you also said that about Calvin and Calvin's gotten a lot better. Things change. Oh, that, man, that, man. Things do change. You got a great old time over here. <laughs> You hold grudges. You know what uh, <laughs> Robert said about the standalone scenarios? We should just do an Iron Man for all of them. Like, just run an Iron Man for all the standalones. <laughs> oh, one, one, one thing I did think about doing on my channel at some point was playing, doing a campaign where I had to play all the standalones as part of it. So play it, play, pick whatever campaign it is, but then you have to play, pay the experience and play as, as many of the standalones as you can in there to see how, how, just how many scenarios you can play in one campaign, including the blob. And that's and what, uh, you know, what, what would have to happen did. though, if you, so you ha- cause you have to pay to play each scenario, pay experience points to play each scenario. Yeah. If your investigator dies or accumulates enough trauma, you'd have to play Mateo. Well, I'd ha- you, I think you'd have to look at how much experience it was going to cost you first and of then all. Play Mateo. So, well, no, just so you could prepare. So it'd be like, okay, if I don't know how much, how much, if you added up all the experience of the standalones, like, would you need 10 or 12 or 15? Like, I don't know. And, and so then you would have to, when you were upgrading your deck, you'd have to be like, okay, I earned five experience points, but I'm going to need to play Curse of the Rougarou at some point. So I need to save like one experience point or two experience Mm -hmm. points in order to to get them all in in an eight scenario campaign might be might be tough unless you were playing like a a mystic who juiced their experience with like arcane research and delve too deep. And yeah, well, rogues can do that now, too. Rogues could do it, too. Yeah, I think some of the classes like I'm not sure a survivor would you'd be able to earn enough. But I, th- I thought that might be a fun a fun way to to see if you could actually get to the end of at least with the survivors though like you once you have nine experience your deck is pretty much built so you just spend true. all of your That's excess true. experience on the actual standalones themselves and exile cards mm-hmm. Nate how did you get into Arkham Horror um, so it started with me playing a absolute shit ton of Arkham Second Edition in high school and then from there. I got into other FFG games and actually interned at FFG when they started the Call of Cthulhu living card game. And I was interning there for a few months after after a year of college. And then uh, I got really into RPGs after that and then got into Call of Cthulhu a few years ago. And then I didn't even hear about uh, the LCG itself until like almost halfway through the Forgotten Age. And then as soon as I picked up the core game and played it once, like I knew that this was a game I was going to thoroughly enjoy. So that's that's pretty much my story. Yeah, mine's not too you're, exciting. You're omitting the most important fact that you were <laughs> Kingdom Hearts world champion. That's true. Yeah. Yep. You forgot that. You well, forgot I didn't want to like humble brag live on chat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was uh, when we moved to Portland now, it's been six years. Um I found out, my wife actually found out about the Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon, which is, which used to be part of the Lovecraft Film Festival. Now they just do the Lovecraft Film Festival in one shot. And so I started going like the, the second year we had moved here. Um, and I got into Dungeons and Dragons like the following year. 
And so I was going to this one game store playing D&D. And then that year I went to the Lovecraft Film Festival. It was like the second or third time I went. And I saw they have like a thing where they play games like all day in a separate room. Mm -hmm. And I saw this game and and it interested me because of the artwork and all that. And I never heard of Arkham Horror before that. So I'm like, huh, that's interesting. But I, I wanted to do the film festival thing. I didn't want to play any games while I was there. So then after the film festival, I went to the game store to play D&D that week. And I'm like, I asked one of the guys who worked there, like, hey, have you heard of this game? And they're like, yeah, it's getting pretty popular. We have a whole wall for it. No, it wasn't Nathan's game store, by the way. It was a different <laughs> game store. I was just actually um, going to ask. No, no. I, I saw it coming. I saw it in your eyes. Um, but uh, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, it's getting pretty popular. And at the time, it was, I think the second Mythos pack of Carcosa was just released. And they were announcing the second to last scenario, I think, online. Because I remember seeing the announcement for that. But anyways, um, yeah, I was I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Like, every, you know, they had nothing but good things to say about it. So I bought the, the deluxe box. And then the very next week, I bought, like, everything that was available for the game. Yeah, I did a very so, similar thing. Yeah. My wife was a little disappointed when I spent, like, $140 buying all of Dunwich and another missile bag. <laughs> but then I spent a ton of time playing. I even actually... The next week, I called out of my D&D game. Like, I didn't show up to my, my weekly <laughs> D&D game because I was so busy playing Arkham Horror. So that was my story. Um, all right. So this I love this name. The Blob Ate My Homework wants to know, what has been a moment in your life where you committed every card to a test and pulled the autofill? Okay, so I guess they mean real-life moment. So sometime in your life where you, like, committed every card and still managed to pull the auto fail whoever wants to take that first uh that feels like every fucking game i play on stream almost i like commit three skill cards and then i draw a blessing i'm like yes and then immediately draw an auto fail i'm like god damn it <laughs> but in your life i think they wanted to you know like in your life oh in real life oh. uh, yeah so i guess i'll go first on that one because i knew that question beforehand um my brother and i, I have a twin brother geo and um when we had come to the U.S. from Panama, um, my mom wanted us involved in the Panamanian community in Florida, right, in Miami. And so she got us involved into this, like, folkloric dance crew that did Panamanian folkloric dancing. And at this point, we were, like, I think we were maybe late elementary school, early middle school. And, yeah, basically, the kind with the, you know... <laughs> Whatever castanet things or what do you call them in English? Oh, Anyways, no. uh, so we were. No, we 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 call them castanets in English too. So we were, we we went to practice with these people for like two or three months, and my brother and I were just not getting it, dude. We were not getting it. And then they would like all these people. They knew every song, and I guess they assumed we knew what the songs were. And they'd be like, "All right, now we're gonna play." Anamostolos or something like that. And then and my brother and I would be like, I don't know what song that is. So anyways, we would go and keep practicing with them. And we kind of had them down. And I remember this is where we committed every card to the test. We Right before we got on stage, we performed at Bayside. It's like this outdoor mall area, tourist area. And they had this big performance with hundreds of people watching. And as we're going up, this old Panamanian guy like looks at my brother and I as we're going up on stage. And he goes, make your country proud. oh my god of course right so we get up on stage and man we were so terrible like we didn't know where we were going because they switched the order of the songs and they're like oh we had to switch the order because they cut our time so we're gonna play uh Laura Noche first and then Andamosos second and we're like we don't know the song names like we, we practice it in one order and now they're flipping it on us and we were like lost we didn't know which partner to dance with we were and people we were looking at the crowd and people were laughing and like 
it was just a disaster, a complete disaster. And they never invited us back to perform with them again. So that was an autofill moment, definitely. Okay, so now... Okay. Okay, I understand what's going on now. Jeez, now I gotta, I gotta. I've been trying to think of one. There have been so, so many auto fail moments. Let us think deep into our tanks here. But someone is asking for the song, Nate, because I mentioned where I'm from. Oh, the Panama song. Oh, dude, you don't want to hear me sing that, man. That's gotta. (laughs) We've already discussed this chat. (laughs) Panama. That's like a cat singing it. It's more like beating a dead cat, forcing it to sing it. Right. <laughs> um, well, I think uh, the one that that sort of I actually remembered it while talking to uh, to Richard Lee Byers, uh, my interview with him uh, yesterday, uh, when I was a uh, a teenager i think i was 15 or 16 i did a student exchange to switzerland and so i lived in switzerland for a year and uh, while i was over there i uh, started reading uh, a lot of short stories and so i decided that i would be uh, i fancied that i could also write short stories and so i uh, i started uh, writing uh, writing a lot of short stories in my spare time, I think, as uh, most teens write. I, I had gone through the poetry phase already, so I had uh, I still have a binder of awful poetry sitting in my house. Uh, so I started writing these short stories, and I was so confident that I submitted them to to uh, a publisher uh, hoping to get them published and not just any small publisher like i i had my eyes were as big as saucers and so i uh, submitted them to like the biggest publishers around and uh, i didn't hear anything from them and uh and i'm just like oh you know it's they're just taking a long time or or whatever and uh it wasn't until i got back to uh to the plateau here that uh, my parents picked me up at the airport and uh and i i told them about this and they're like yeah we've we've got something to tell you um we you received letters from these publishers and we opened them but we didn't have the heart to share them with you and uh and so i was just like well what did they say and uh and i you know i had been pretty confident going into this like i'd read a read a few steinbeck short stories so i thought i could do you know (laughs) that that teen confidence that you're invincible and you can do anything anyway the publisher had to had written a note uh, saying that uh, thank you for your submission, but uh, we don't think English is your native language. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that is an autofill for I sure. I don't. I don't think I have ever written another short story since. So that that tentacle pull was so was so bad that I just it yeah my writing career was 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 nipped in the bud at that point. So basically, not only did I pull the ta- pull a tentacle, but I flipped the table at that point and mm. and walked away and uh, <laughs> the table. and uh, never uh, never put pen to paper again. Which was uh, yeah, it was. And I and I I do remember the stories. And I and looking back, I'm like absolutely yeah. I would have probably sent the same letter to myself. <laughs> But uh, I I committed I I went I went all in on that one and uh, I might have even played double or nothing too just to, <laughs> just to be sure. But uh, yeah, it was uh, 
It was definitely a tentacle moment. I was going to say Nate's tentacle moment is happening right now with his uh, autofocus. No, I, I got it. I got it. So, got okay. It so I have one story is from my, from my days in fine dining. I remember, uh, we were all asked to come up with, with specials for the menu that were going to be like put onto the next seasonal menu. And I was like gung ho about this particular dish that I was making. I, it was some, it was some scallop dish and I was like super gung ho about it. I was like, we're going to do this like sweet scallop ceviche. And my boss was like, yeah, that's great. And then, you know, he like led me into this false confidence and then I made it and he turned around and he tried it and he was like, this is actually the most disgusting thing I think I've ever eaten in my entire life. Oh my God. <laughs> this, the chef that I used to work for was brutally honest. Man, no pulling punches. Man. No, dude, he was, he was actually brutal. Like he, he only, he would get mad. He was like the generic, like, I'm going to throw plates and break them kind of angry chef. So <laughs> this, this scallop ceviche is bland. <laughs> it's <laughs> fucking raw. Like, that's the point. It's a ceviche. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, I think I think man from Lane takes this one. I yeah. mean, when you're told English isn't your native language. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's that's hard to hear. And but it, but it wasn't it wasn't the it wasn't the I think the problem what happened is that I uh, I uh, I had learned German grammar in Switzerland. And so I was applying German grammar rules to my English writing, which doesn't make and and I did it even into university. Like I remember one professor was just like, your writing is terrible. Like what is going on here? And it wasn't only until later that I, I got everything straightened out and but yeah, that's what I do for a job now. So it's kind of ironic, I guess, that That is ironic. That I that I managed to somehow write the ship and, and end up uh end up becoming a, a journalist in the end. Yeah, you know it's funny. Well, Speaking of irony, too, I ended up becoming that uh, that chef's AM supervisor. So what? Yeah, he, <laughs> you know, he, he, it's that classic David Chang quote where you have to fail a lot in order to succeed at least once. So mm, true. Perseverance so true. is key. Someone said, uh, "Oh, is it Robert in the chat?" <laughs> it's not English, anyways. It's Canadian, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Um, oh, okay. Jay Sandoval says, uh, what is it about Arkham Horror that you enjoy the most? What part of the game, I guess, is what they're either one of you. I think mm -hmm. for me, honestly, it's the community around the game itself. You know, I think it'd be pretty easy for me to like bounce off a game and then continue else, con you know, continue elsewhere. But really like, you know, the, the relationships that I've made playing this game is really what keeps me keeps me in this game. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the, when I play, I enjoy I don't really play it so much for the story as the mechanics. I like the like I often don't read the I end up forgetting to read the inserts and stuff like that because I'm more focused on like how does a scenario perform mechanically and it's the ones that that have very good mechanics that I end up enjoying the most. But yeah, I I mean, these days I spend more time talking with the community and, you know, interacting with people than actually sitting down and playing. So that's so the I guess the game has evolved for me over over the past three and a half years where initially it was just like play, 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 you know, review cards, do this, do that. And now it's more, you know, 
the it's I find it like the the reviews have gotten harder just because there are so many more investigators to deal with that uh, that uh, it's almost easier. Like I enjoy the I didn't think I would enjoy live streaming as much as I do, but now it's it's one of my favorite parts is is going on live and 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 chatting with the people who are in the chat and and playing the game because I don't really have anybody to play with here. So it's, I'm essentially playing with 20 or 30 people at the same time. I'm the same way. Yeah. I've really come to really enjoy live streaming the game. There's, there's so much like community. What's the word I'm looking for? You know, camaraderie. Yeah. There's so much camaraderie in the community that like, you know, when you stream the game, they're, they're trying to genuinely help you succeed or, you know, like point out things in the game that you may have missed. And it's always really helpful because the game's complicated and there's likely things that you're going to miss, especially if you're playing scenarios blind. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think I agree with you guys. Uh, same thing. Like initially what attracted me to the game was I, I liked how the story was told through the mechanics. So I really enjoyed the imag- how it sparked my imagination. Like when you pull a card, like thinking how that scene played out. That's partially the Pikmin's uh, chaos bag contest thing that's going on. That's kind of like how I like to play it initially, but I agree with you. I think it's evolved over time. I really enjoy the community more than anything. And that's what, that's what this game for me now is about. It's like you said, and I just started live streaming recently and um, you know, I would watch Nate play uh, while I was at work and I'm like, huh, I mean, live streaming seems like really difficult and like, it also doesn't seem fun to me. Uh, because, you know, when I would pre-record my games, like I can edit and I can do all this sort of stuff. But I didn't realize just how cool it was to interact with the community while you were playing. And I, I really, now that I've been live streaming for this Farkham Con and like the week before, like really fell in love with it too, just like you, man, from Lang and Nate. Um, I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. Definitely the community, I would say. Yeah, I think there's a like a, a I went through an evolution of like initially playing. I would just record my games and it was always like that that quest to play the perfect game of Arkham Horror and not make any mistakes. <clears throat> and 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 then it was always sort of disheartening when you'd, you'd post the video and then somebody would point out some little thing that you, you forgot. <laughs> so you forgot to add a doom or you forgot to draw an encounter card or whatnot and Mm. invalidates it's basically (laughs) you know i think i think it was actually sean from mythos busters and i were talking about at one time and and he just said you know if if you're if you're doing that if you're trying to be entertaining and play a game at the same time it's virtually impossible to play perfectly and i think that you know in streaming uh, occasionally the chat will catch things but it's also i think the more you do it you just sort of recognize i think it, you recognize the the faults that you have as a player it's just like oh do i forget to add doom or do i forget to draw encounter cards or do i forget for me my biggest flaw is that i forget text on locations oh i do that all I, the time i oh dude, i tend yeah. to look at locations and be like oh i'm at the location the only thing i care about is the shroud value and then mm-hmm. i forget that oh by it has this response or it has this this other little thing that you can do there like i think there's the there were those in um like threads of fate where you can get to play an ally for cheaper or something like that. And it was just like, 
I'd be like, man, I'd love to play this ally in my hand, but I just can't do it. I can't afford it. And then, of course, if I was paying attention to the locations. So that's why I created my little exclamation point and I put it on location sometimes just to remind myself that yeah, I'm, there I'm is important guilty stuff of that going when, on. Uh, when I play Last King, I always forget about those responses on the locations after you parlay. <laughs> Even uh, though yeah, I've played it like a hundred times at this point. Anything with a lot of moving parts, I'm terrible at it. Mm-hmm. I've had, dude, I've gotten so much feedback like on my playthroughs, the pre-recorded playthroughs. And I think we've all talked about it like a year or two later, people are still commenting, you forgot to do this. I've had, and I think live stream, people tend to be nicer about mistakes. They're like, hey, by the way, you missed this, you know, that kind of thing. Some people tend to like really get rough with you. Like, oh yeah, dude. I've had I, I've had straight up. You put this location in the wrong place. Like when return to the night of the zealot, I put like the bathroom connected to one player. So I just don't see a reason why I should keep watching your your record. Okay, don't <laughs> all right, fine. Don't watch it. Like, dude, that's just the cesspool of YouTube comments. Sometimes. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's like, dude, they, there's nicer ways to say it, but you grow, you learn to grow a thicker skin. I, I've received so much negative comments about my playthroughs and people disagree with me like vehemently over things it's like dude it's just one person's opinion but yeah. i think with with live stream it's uh people tend to be like you said it's camaraderie like they're they're with you and they're playing with you mm-hmm. and we're all doing the same thing for the same goal versus a pre-recorded game where it's like let me watch this guy play oh wait that's a mistake i don't think i should watch him play because i'm gonna learn things the wrong way or something yeah you know? so it's I think part of that, too, is like when you when you watch other card games, like especially like Magic, um, you know, those games are very precise in the way you play Mm -hmm. them. And people are very critical of, you know, play mistakes and stuff like that. So I think part of that's a good point. Part of it is that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. Yeah. I I also like the live stream because occasionally when chat does chime in, they, they often will point out a line of play that I hadn't considered before because maybe I've played the scenario the same way you know i've had success playing it a certain way so i tend to barrel down that that uh that well-trodden road every time i play it where and then somebody will say something in the comments like oh have you considered this idea or that idea and you you look at the scenario a different way and and you're like oh yeah i could i could do this or that and and uh and probably have better success uh doing it that way so and you know i know initially when i started playing this game i was always very focused on like going fast like just trying to play like to to you know i was on a like the game is always on a timer and you have a certain it's a race it's always a race but i was running that race even faster than i needed to and so one of the things i sort of learned over time i think is like slow down like you don't you you do have time to play assets and you do have time to you know draw a card occasionally mm-hmm. and so uh i think if anything playing with people has taught me it taught me to be like okay well you've got a doom threshold of eight you might as well use it you know you don't get any bonus points if you beat the scenario when it's with four doom on the agenda if they're when you've got eight yeah and jp and solar j kind of make good comments too that sometimes when you get tilted in a game you like kind of just lose sight and you just like want to get through it as fast as possible but you know sometimes chad is really good about just like slowing the pace of the game down in that aspect we have a question in the chat uh i, I hope i'm saying that right 
How do you think this pandemic has affected Arkham's sense of community? I mean, that's a good question. I would say that, if anything, it's probably boosted everyone's morale because we're all kind of stuck inside and have more time to play Arkham, especially remotely with, you know, tools like TTS and Octagon and uh, the ever-tone-deaf FFG response of, oh, just set up a webcam and have a game master, like, play on a webcam. But I'm sure there are people that do that which is cool. At least the online community has, has definitely come together. Mm. I'm sure it's much harder on people that are used to playing in person. I know I used to. I, I forced myself to learn TTS because of the pandemic, but I'm glad I did because now I get to play with people from all over the world. I wouldn't have been able to play with JP this morning, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a big plus. Yep. Um, yeah, I think from a from I could I sort of see it as as it has positive and negative um like positive it it does encourage people to to play online and you get to play with people from different uh different places. Oh, we wore the same t-shirt, Nate. Nate. <laughs> What's funny is thought about wearing you, that one. You too. you you go change it. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Because we can't show up at the stream wearing the same T-shirt. We're all wearing black uh, T-shirts, man. We have to be the coolest guys no. on the internet right now. Oh, you know, now that you mentioned black T-shirts, on today's stream for uh, Los Artillos de Arkham, they were like, all the titles for the new expansion packs for Insmith sound like metal albums. And it, if you read them, they really do. They're all like metal album names. It's awesome. Um, but on the on the downside, I you know with with uh, FFG sort of delaying shipping uh, on its products, we had that long break, uh, you know, several months. And and I know that uh, you know if you look back at the history of card games, like the Star Wars LCG was basically killed by a delay like that. You know, it it released. Everybody was playing it. All of a sudden, there's months and months without product or or information, and it, the the game just never recovered. So, while from a content creation perspective, I was happy. It's just like okay, it gives me a chance to catch up and and do some of the stuff I haven't done. At the same time, I'm like, well, I hope it doesn't go too long because otherwise, then people will be just like, well, this game is you know there's no there's nothing new so they they move on to you know naturally people move on and pursue other interests and that wouldn't be that wouldn't be good yeah that's true someone what was this comment um <laughs> wait we'll we'll get to that question in a minute because that's actually <laughs> hilarious um but since we mentioned jp jp did send us a question via email at carolynfriendthebotanist at gmail.com and he says this is so out there if pluto is not a planet but in reality, a gateway to another dimension. What would be your Lovecraftian transport of choice to reach the gateway and travel to it? I already know the answer that I'm going to give because I read all the questions beforehand. So if you guys want to think about it, I'll give my answer. So I have to get to Pluto, right? So I have to go on mm-hmm. a spaceship? Not necessarily. For me, it'd be the I'd go through the the Migo brain extraction. Why not? Just that's my transportation of choice. Let them cut out my brain. I think I would probably go dimension or like a dimensional shambler route and go like travel through a different uh, dimension of reality and end up that way. I think dimensional I cast shambler. astral travel. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Or open gate. One or the other. That'll get JP's me there. Like, JP says he must have been drunk when he sent us that question. <laughs> he doesn't remember writing it. <laughs> he had a beer uh, when we were playing because it was evening for him, and it was like 7 o'clock in the morning for me. And he's like, yeah, I'm having a beer now. But I'm like, well, it's, I mean, it's beer time in your place. Why not have one too? Right. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Yeah. Colleen K wants to know which investigator are you most similar to? That's a good question. That is a good one. Well, why don't you answer first, Face? I'm going to need a second to think. Me? Oh, boy. Why do you have me answer this first? Father Mateo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it's true. It's a fact. Now, I feel now like I'm you, blessed. This, this Mateo disease has made you embody him. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm blessed. Okay. You just, you're like, man from Lang said he was a bad investigator. So I'm going to not only prove him wrong, but I'm going to start cosplaying as him. I'm going to start <laughs> role playing as you're gonna, him. You're going to be that deranged street person lecturer on the, on the sidewalk in, <laughs> in, in Portland here. And <laughs> the end is nigh. The snacks the are end here. Is nigh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, my reasons for Father Mateo, I am very blessed. I have great friends and a great community, great children, <laughs> you guys. Um, I have a great wife, and I have an awesome life right now, knock on wood. So I'm very happy. I'm fortunate. I'm blessed. And then on top of that, you know, he's Hispanic like me, and he, uh, you know, he's he kind of questioned his faith, which I did too, not to get too, like, philosophical. I did too. So I think a lot of things are falling into place, so I can relate with him a lot. So I would say Father Mateo. So now you guys go. Surprised your answer wasn't machete. Well, I can't. I couldn't use a machete if I was Mateo, and therefore it makes sense because I've never actually used one. But when I was a kid in Panama, my dad owned a machete, and he would. We had a plant, um, sugarcane uh, plant, and he would chop down the sugarcane for us to chew on and enjoy his treats. So I've seen the machete in action, but never used one. So it makes sense that I'd be Mateo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, man, I still need to think about my answer. Actually, probably should go like look at all the investigators and pick one at that point. All right, then, man from Lang, Rex Murphy. <laughs> probably Rex Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think, probably the closest. He embodies the the inquisitiveness, but also being slightly cursed. Yeah. That's. I mean, after that, after that autofail moment, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think he's he's a he's a pretty good fit. Probably the closest. I can't think of many other. Like, I'm I'm not an ex-con. Not a not a millionaire like Preston. I wish I was Preston if that was the case. Magician, a botanist. Like if they can't, like maybe. If it wasn't Rex, it would probably be Ursula, just because she's an explorer, well, tra- a well-traveled explorer, which is, I've done a great deal of travel as well and, and love that sort of thing. So, so maybe a combination, but if I'd be, maybe I would be uh, Ursula and Rex's love child if they're such an investigator existed. Okay. So if it was me, if we're going on profession, then I'd have to be Zoe because I, cooked for 15 years i couldn't be agnes because i never worked part of house so but are you psychotic like zoe Mm, (laughs) maybe i mean i do get pretty pretty rage in the kitchen sometimes man and i yeah it's it's hard because there's there's no like man child investigator so (laughs) (laughs) there were no man childs in the 20s and 30s guys yeah, apparently not. <laughs> so you're so you're 
sort of like Wendy. I guess so, yeah. Maybe I'm like Wendy and Zoe mixed together because I'm I'm abandoned and alone all all up here in New Hampshire. Wendy, one of the investigators who can use Tennessee Sour Mash, the cigarette case, (laughs) courage. (laughs) Okay, okay, yeah, then I guess I'd be Wendy because I'm (laughs) I'm a child that can smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol. Yeah, that was a good question. Um, back to Adrian P. Well, you know what? Let's go to that one in chat. Um, man, I can't believe it. We're actually filling the two hours with all the Q&As. So I guess trivia would have ran long. Where is that question? I lost it now. Here we go. What is your favorite? This is Sageless One. What's your favorite gaming podcast? And why is it no pun intended? <laughs> uh, the trolls are real, man. Uh, to answer that question seriously, it's probably shut up and sit down. They're those guys are great. I like no pun included. I still watch them. I like them. I just disagree with their review of Arkham Horror LCG. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To be fair, let's uh, we're we're not criticizing them as a whole. We're just criticizing that particular review. So I'm sure they're lovely people. Yeah. I know. I've never watched them until that one. So I don't. Because of that, I don't want to watch them again. Um, I do like Shut Up and Sit Down as well. Uh, I don't. I can't say I listen to them regularly. I do listen regularly. I listen. Well, used to listen to the Mythos Busters regularly, but I've fallen behind because we've been doing so much stuff here outside projects and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, I guess those would be the answers for me. Yeah, who are the Mythos and, Busters? I've never heard of them before. Yeah, I heard they put on events on weekends. They do weird stuff. Yeah, they do some stuff. Um, uh, okay. Here's the question. I'm not sure how we're going to answer it. Again, a DMP. uh, Any chances of one of us mortal cultists being invited to the podcast or even becoming a great old one? So because – can I answer this one briefly and then I'll I'll let you guys chime in? Absolutely. Okay. Because we record once a month uh, and schedules are so crazy for us that – you know, we always have to figure out way in advance how we're going to record and all this stuff. It's hard to get people on unless there's a specific reason for it. That's why we have very few guests on. And when we do, usually there's only like two of us or one of us interviewing the guests because our schedules are so conflicting. So the chances of getting a worshiper on for a podcast, sorry to say, is probably not very high as of right now because of these these factors. It's you, unless you have something happening where we would want to get you on because it's very something that's important for the community or something like that, maybe you know. And then as far as becoming a great old one, for the same reasons, I would say like the scheduling conflicts are really 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 difficult between all of us because we all have real jobs and then we have side side things that we do. So like Mythos Busters, they just do the mythos busters right drawn to the flame just do drawn to the flame we do great old ones and then we all have our own side things so and then plus jobs and all that stuff so mm. to add another factor into it look at this we already don't have nate here today or nathan here today and it's for that reason right so it would be very difficult to have a, a bigger crew than we already have now so that's my answer now you guys can go ahead <laughs> and see what you guys think you are correct yeah, so part of it is a technical thing too. So the the way we record our podcast, since we we live all, you know across the country from each other, we have to record on a double ender, and the double ender that we use only allows four people in a chat at once. So so that's part of the issue. And then yeah, um, it's like not to say that it's impossible, but uh, I think I think especially for worshippers, we do um, 
we do really like to host games like rpg games and like do live events on on twitch and stuff and i think that that's a more appropriate place for for that type of content that's that's really spot on actually yeah okay from the chat yeah like if there's something if there's something you're interested in doing with the great old ones that's probably more easier to organize than coming on the the podcast like if people were interested in in doing you know i'm running two sessions of curtain call this weekend but you know if people if there was enough interest I'm not opposed to, to running it again at some point. I mean, all the work's done, so it's just it's just finding the time to to do it. And as long as you're not too concerned about who's who's involved, then it's mm-hmm. then it's easy to do. Or yeah. like to play um, to play on TTS or Octagon or something like that. It's usually easier to do it one on one rather than trying to when you try to to get multiple people involved. Then schedules and real life and and all that stuff quickly intervenes and mm-hmm. yeah trust me we have a hard enough time just getting the four of us on a regular yeah. episode so if you guys knew what goes on in the background and it's um it kind of uh, leads to our other question because uh Dubirismo from uh <laughs> from the archivo Sarkin, uh put in a question in the chat having a spanish speaker in the crew when are you coming for a cameo appearance in los archivos well we're having two of you guys on so you guys are coming on our show probably next episode or the episode after we still got to work out dates and stuff mm-hmm. um so definitely you guys are going to be on our show now as far as us on your show we have to work out logistics um i know i, I was talking with uh pepe pepe with the machete uh last year um we were talking about going on me going on the show but uh because of all the side projects and stuff i completely lost track of it to be honest uh but i would love to be on the show with you guys you guys are so much fun and uh waiting on your call (laughs) yeah i would love to um so i do speak spanish i I speak spanish it's my primary language or my first language uh english is my second language but uh because the archivos de arkham are from spain uh the accents are, are way different so it takes like a millisecond for me to process it versus someone speaking like from Mexico or Panama or Central America, really. But uh, definitely, Dubirismo, definitivamente voy a estar en, en el programa de ustedes pronto. Así que, me esperan porque este año, algún tiempo en este año. Anyways, um, that was from the chat. We have another chat question. Uh, we have Nate Babyface. Where is it? Oh, how many beers does it take for you to not be able to regularly... What? To say regular... How many beers remember. does it take you... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now, oh my god, wow. Apparently. JP, you're drunk. <laughs> did it on purpose. Yeah, you did it on purpose so we would stutter it. <laughs> All right, never mind. Uh, so Starking177 wants to know, what difficulty do we usually play on? Standard. Standard. Same, standard. I did I did go through a phase where I played on hard, but I, yeah, standard's fine. I don't, uh, I don't particularly need the... I know there are some people who want to be really challenged by the game, and uh, and and that's fine. You know, I, I think you play what it play on whatever difficulty you feel comfortable with, and and um, I know there are some people who play on easy, some people who play standard, and others who play nothing but expert. And any level is fine as long as you're playing the game and having fun. Mm-hmm. I think for me personally, if I played at a higher difficulty level, I would probably get more frustrated because the variance is so much greater and you're just going to fail more tests and there's going to be very little you can do about it. And I think that would frustrate me. Whereas on standard, I feel like 
I've got a pretty good handle on when I'm going to pass and fail, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're still going to fail tests if you draw a tentacle or whatnot. But at least I feel like if I fail a test, I probably deserve to fail it rather than if you played on harder expert where it's just like you're just going to draw minus eights and minus sixes and stuff. And it's very, very difficult at that uh, to pass those sort of like to muster to be plus six on a lot of different tests you're basically accepting like one or two tests a game i'm going to be able to really jack up my my skill value high enough to to take all the tokens out of the chaos bag yeah i agree it's uh it's, it's definitely a different game and it's not that there's anything you know bad about it it's just a preference thing for for as far as difficulty i find standard to be difficult enough to be honest. Yeah, I'm right yeah. there with you. And it's, it's I a suck different, this game. You've got to build a different type of deck too. I mean, the, the when you when you start to look at card like value cards, like things, anything that makes you make a skill test, its value goes down, while any card that that uh, makes you uh, get clues or damage for free goes up in value because without you know, if you don't have to make a test, that's it's fantastic at that level where those cards like if you're on if you're playing on an easier mode then those cards aren't necessarily as important because you can it's not as hard to get clues or kill enemies yeah they're just gravy um another question from the well let me grab the last one from the email and then we can just go chat questions and then wrap this up uh this is a quick one finally from the mp again finally but most importantly why don't you guys, Vase, Nathan, Man from Lang, tell Nate the secret to having awesome-looking facial hair, or to just have any at all? I don't know that he can grow any yet. Uh, yeah, that's, that's 15, assuming that years. Nate can grow can grow facial hair, and that hasn't. Dude, I can't. Yet. It's bad, man. It takes me like a week just to get five o'clock shadow. That's so crazy. Permanent baby face, man. You're lucky, man. You don't know how lucky you are uh, to look so young. <laughs> All right, uh, question from the chat. Unless new ones come in, then we'll wrap up after. Um, what uh, do you guys read horror or watch horror movies, and what sort of things do you prefer? I definitely read more horror than I watch horror. I think usually when I watch movies and TV, I tend to it's more of an unwinding time for me. But reading is a is an engaging activity for me, so I, I like to read horror more than I watch horror. And as far as things that I've read recently i've actually picked up uh, uzumaki which is a very lovecrafty and inspired um manga series by gunji ito so i'm excited to delve into that and then he also um i was also recommended this uh anim or manga version of i don't know if you can see that at the mountains of madness by uh I believe it's Gol Tanabi. So I'm really excited to check these out at some point too. I do not read horror and I do not watch horror most of the time. My son is the horror fan. I I avoided horror movies like The Plague when I was younger. And then uh, I have sat down and I can watch them and I enjoy them. But uh, generally I seek out, if I'm going to watch stuff, I usually watch sci-fi or, or anime or something like that like that not necessarily uh horror movies and if i read horror it's mostly lovecraft and associates and like i've never read a stephen king novel or or anything like that if i if i i my wife always laughs at me because whenever i read a book it's always like some monumental tome that requires a lot of 
work and it's not considered easy reading. Like one of my favorite books is Gravity's Rainbow and that's not something you just pick up and read on a weekend. What about you, Vase? I, I don't read too much. Um, I think the thing I read most often is dictionary and then the movie thing, I do like movies a lot. I like horror movies. It's my favorite genre of film. And luckily, my wife loves horror movies, too. So we're always watching horror movies. And uh, we go to the Lovecraft Festival every year, film fe- film festival every year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't mind reading a short story here and there. But kind of like you, Man from Lang, the investment in a big book like that. like, And then if it has no payoff, it, to me, it feels like such a waste of time. Whereas a movie, you blow an hour and a half or two hours most of the time. But a book, I mean, you're blowing hours upon hours upon hours of your free time. And when you're reading, you can't do something else. When you're watching a movie, you could be like, you know, jumping on your phone, doing some, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, typing the script for your next video and still pay attention. Whereas with reading, you have to focus on that. 100%. 100%. And, you know, even even books that come highly recommended, like you mentioned Stephen King, I mean, you, you're not missing much, I'm going to be honest. It's There's a lot of filler in his books, and I think he goes off on tirades because he's doing his stuff and drinking and cocaine and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, he just goes <laughs> off on tangents for chapters on end, and it's completely irrelevant to the rest of the story. And you would think there's a deeper meaning to it. Nope. It's just completely irrelevant. Like if you read it, I, I read some Stephen King when I was younger and it, they always start off great. The premise is good. It's kind of like Lovecraft. The premise is good. There's something there that's good, but the story itself isn't developed properly ever. Never. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I think like maybe if I found the right, the right horror book, I would, I would enjoy it. But I just, things have, society has changed so much since back in the day when, you know, reading was, was a thing that a lot of people did. And, and unfortunately, I think I've gravitated away from it more to, to watching movies or even at work, you know, I just, I, because my job is fairly, fairly, uh, is not very intellectually intensive. So I tend to like, just put on Netflix and listen to things. So I don't actually watch, mm-hmm. like I, I listen to the, I think they've got like three Godzilla movies on some anime <laughs> Godzilla movies. So I just listen to them. Like I didn't watch any of it. I just listened to it. And then, and so I do that with a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff these days so I can catch up on like I, I, it turned out, you know, I always thought I was, you know, um, a Star Trek fan, but I started listening to all the the original series episodes and realized as a kid I'd only seen like two. Well, <laughs> yeah. like I'd seen the the one where where uh, I think it was the Mirror Mirror episode and then the Mirror Universe episode and then like one other one. And so I've been going through and it's just like, wow, this is I missed like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh... That's a good point. The listening thing, that's what I do with YouTube. You yeah. know, I, I transit, so I, like, put on YouTube so I can watch the surroundings because it's always dangerous, right? Um, but I'm listening to YouTube the whole time, and I don't necessarily always watch it. Just listen to it. And mm-hmm. sometimes, like you said, man, from like I'll put on Netflix, and I'll be working on stuff on the computer now and have it in the background playing, and I'll still pay attention. My wife is shocked all the time because she's like, when we watch a movie and we're just focusing on it, you're always asking me what's going on. You're always asking me questions <laughs> about the plot. But then when you're not sitting paying attention to it, you know everything that's happening. I'm like, yeah, I guess. Man, that's I guess weird. maybe. Dude, I'm <laughs> yeah, the total I opposite. I have to, like, divert all of my attention onto one thing. Like, I can't. I'm terrible at multi- multitasking. Yeah, which like is probably the other why day I she... like reading more than watching movies in that, in that aspect. 
she comes over. I'm at the computer, and she's like, um, she sees Vikings is in the background, and we've been watching at different intervals. And then she's like, do you know what's going on there? And I'm like, oh, yeah, the, the king betrayed this guy, and then his brother came and talked to the wife, and then they teamed up with these people, and they went, and she goes, how the hell do you know that? You're not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's the classic adage of, you're not listening. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whatever you say. Well, how fitting. My, my phone is about to die, and that's what I was monitoring the chat with. Uh, we do have one last question from JP, and uh, I think it's a pretty good question to wrap up the episode with. JP, is... go to bed. <laughs> Just go to bed, JP. We have JP. a game at 7 You've o'clock. You've been up for, f- I don't know, I, I think JP's been up since Thursday at this point. Just go to bed, <laughs> JP. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Finland, so the sun is like up for twenty plus hours. You know? uh, yeah, I, I I know. It's, yeah, it's, it's he's probably like. 4 here. <laughs> uh, but he it is an interesting question, and I do think it's worth uh it's worth asking on the on the show here. What is the most interesting starter investigator for each of you guys? Let's start of with the you new guys. Yes, of the new packs. Interesting. I think interesting probably Winifred. Um. But I'll probably never play her. I don't play Rogue a lot. Okay, then what's your, what would be your favorite of the five? My favorite of the five, probably Jacqueline, because I like the idea of this whole psychic who can, you know, I think that her mechanics really play well to what she does, so I like her a lot. And there's a lot of great new um, Mystic cards in her deck in, that, that I really think are going to play really awesome. So I think I'm most excited for her out of your turns. I'd have to say, after looking at the spoilers, I was most... The one that sort of piqued my interest the most was Harvey Walters, which I was surprised by because I typically don't play a lot of Seekers. Um, But I don't know whether it was just the art on his cards or the mechanics or or what was it, but but I looked at his deck and I was kind of like, yeah, I really want to play this one and see. Jacqueline, I was kind of like... I play a ton of mystics and um, but the the chaos bag manipulation isn't I don't find as interesting. So I may not end up actually playing her like I don't play a lot of uh, chaos bag manipulation mystic like Jim Culver and stuff like that. Like when when like uh, there was a Jim Culver deck going around like playing with the, the tokens and whatnot. I, I don't tend to play that style of mystic deck. So Jacqueline isn't, uh, but yeah, I think it, I think it was Harvey. I, I looked at his cards and I'm just like, yeah, this is kind of, this is, this has grabbed me for whatever reason, which I didn't, I didn't expect. And maybe that's because I, I have played sort of, I haven't played the decks themselves, but I have played with most of the invest. I think all of the investigators except Jacqueline and Harvey. And, uh, uh, so I sort of uh, have an idea of how Nathaniel's deck plays, and I know how when I've played a lot of Winifred, so I know how she plays. And Stella, I've played one one or two games with her. So I think for I think it's just the idea of having your entire deck in your hand. I'm not too sure how that actually works in practice. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've only got 30 cards in your deck, so how many of them will you have in your hand at any one time? Yeah, because there's one, not to spoil anything, but there's one where you like have to have 15 cards in your hand or something for it to do its biggest benefit. Yeah, that it was one of the nuts. previous cards on the website. Yeah, the Soleno Fragments is 15 cards. 
It's crazy. Yeah. So considering, you know, cards in hand, cards in deck, and cards on table, that's you're not gonna have a ton of cards in in uh but I don't I don't really know how hard like is he an event based or is he like asset heavy or whatnot. So uh I guess we'll find that out when the decks come out later this month and get a better idea of, of what the deck actually actually looks like but i do agree with you vase that there are a lot of really cool mystic cards in jacqueline's deck that i'm looking forward to playing in other mystics like mattel yeah (laughs) (laughs) well let's not get carried away (laughs) i i had my mateo phase two years ago you'll you'll come around eventually and you'll uh you'll see the error of your ways and uh yeah god just get just give it a, a just give it a few a few more games and you'll be just like you'll never want to play him again. It's not no, because ever since Versatile came out and he can actually play the machete. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> well now over. now it sounds like Mateo's your spirit animal, so I <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right, Nate, tell us yours. Uh, I think for me, it's a toss-up between Winifred and Stella, because that's those are just my two favorite classes in the game to begin with. And Winifred, to me, is particularly interesting because I really like the idea of like jumbling tons of skill cards into a single test and then getting a bunch of cards back, like similar to Silas in that regard. I really like that style of play, and I tend to gravitate towards high-agility investigators to begin with, so Winifred is a, a slam dunk for me. And I'm curious to see how Stella plays. I've, you know, I've been avoiding playing any of the starter deck investigators until their decks officially come out. So I'm really interested to see how they how they work around Stella's ability to gain extra actions after failing tests because it seems like you could do some really pretty broken things with it. Yeah, Stella feels really strong, really strong. For yeah, sure. yeah. Having having played her the one uh, the two games with her, she was uh, there's lots of interesting combo potential there that i think will be interesting to play probably after after mystic i play survivor survivor i play them all (laughs) except seeker i tend not to play seeker all that often but i did play seeker at arkham knights last year so but it was ursula who i think is a slightly different kind of seeker Mm -hmm. not very roguish seeker i guess Mm -hmm. yeah all right guys well uh great chat i'm glad we were able to fill the the two hours um and we were we had some really good questions from from the audience yeah between the chat and the email so i feel like they were really interesting and I got to learn some stuff about you guys. Man from Lang's uh, non-native English story. <laughs> <laughs> we we have that in common. Base. <laughs> yep. uh, English isn't my first language either. So then come with me to the Artibos de Arkham when we go on. We're going well, as long as <laughs> the only thing I know how to say in Spanish is donde esta la estación de tren. So as long as that's the only <laughs> thing you ask me, that's, you know, that, as long as that's the only thing I have to say and there's an actual answer for it, we're good. I can't imagine a question they would ask you where the answer would be, where's the train station? <laughs> I just can't imagine asking that. I know, I know. It's 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 it's, it's my language is is pretty narrow. Dude, I can barely so, speak English, so, let alone Spanish, French, German, anything else. Man, it's bad. Right. <laughs> 
it's funny. We were watching a Top Chef last night in one of the seasons, and one guy writes like a he wrote something on the table, like trying to be fun, like trying to be fun and like avant-garde-ish. He writes something on the table with the food, mm-hmm. and he he wrote alligator, and he freaking misspelled alligator. <laughs> like, dude, dude, you're trying to be cool, and you don't even spell the word right. <laughs> Anyways, well, I guess with that we can say later, Gators. <laughs>